the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. We often will see that in the course of Jesus' ministry, he will use different methods to heal people. In this case, he just speaks a word. We're going to see in a moment that he touches. Other times, he makes uh, a concoction out of mud and spit, and his own spit, and puts it on a blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash. There are many different methods that, that Jesus uses, but he is still the healer. And he still is doing miraculous work today in people's lives because he is still a healer. Throughout the Gospels, we see many instances of Jesus healing people. For some, he simply told them to be healed, and they were. Others, he would touch, or they would be healed in some other miraculous way. And today, Pastor Gary will remind you of the incredible power of Christ. While Jesus is not here walking with us in flesh today, that doesn't take away from his amazing power to heal. Miracles can still happen. We simply have to ask in the name of Jesus, and if he sees fit, he will do amazing things. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Matthew 8. I mentioned to you as we began into chapter 8 that chapters 8 and 9 contain about 9 to 10 miracles, one right after another, of our Lord Jesus. And so we get a quick idea of uh, early on in the Gospel of Matthew just how powerful our Lord is, uh, just how miraculous He is, just, uh, just how compassionate He is. Uh, how often he will go outside of what is the tradition of the day to do things that are sometimes unconventional, but nevertheless guided by the Father. He does everything according to the will of the Father. Jesus said in John's Gospel, I don't say anything except that the Father tells me what to say and how to say it. And everything that he does, everything about his ministry is in direct relation to the will of the Father. He's a vessel. And so we see him as he pours his life out, Uh, in the course of his ministry here in the lives of many people. You'll notice that the first three miracles deal with a leper, deal with a Gentile, who's a centurion, and deal with a woman. This is uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And those three particular groups of people were considered in Jesus' day to be either outcasts or subclasses. The lepers were considered to be unclean, and they had to even announce that they were unclean. If they were even in your vicinity, they had to announce themselves as unclean, unclean. There was a connection in the minds of the people in those days, and sadly, there's this false connection in some people's minds today, that there's a correlation between some type of sickness 
and it's an indication of sin in your life. Now, having said that, there is a reality that sometimes sin causes sickness. If you drink too much, you, you run the risk of killing your liver and maybe even killing your life. If you are sexually promiscuous, you run the risk of sexually transmitted diseases. So we know that there's a correlation. But sadly, there was in Jesus' day, and sometimes even today, that people point to someone for being sick and think that it is an indication of either God's judgment on their lives or that there's sin in their lives, and not always the case, and often not the case. We just live in a fallen world where there is sickness and there is disease. And in the case of the leper, though, they were considered unclean because they were considered unrighteous, that there was sin in their life and it was God's punishment. And Jesus would touch this leper and heal him. Second story we're about to see here involves a Gentile. Third story involves a woman. And again, in Jesus' day, women were considered subclasses of people. In the culture, the Pharisees would wake up and every morning pray, thanking God that they were not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And Jesus is going to minister to the the very three groups that are considered ostracized in his own day because of his compassion, love, and grace for the very people that are often shunned in his day, and we have to be mindful and have eyes to see the very people in our own culture that are sometimes shunned or, or treated differently and have the same grace and compassion that Jesus has uh, towards all people. And so we see the way that he heals the leper. We talked about that last week, and now as we move into verse 5, uh, we're going to see another healing here. It involves the uh, servant or the slave of a centurion. And so verse 5 says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now, again, before we keep reading, circle the name Capernaum there. That is the city from which Jesus kind of operated his ministry, this town Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum was located, uh, is located on the uh, shore of the uh, Sea of Galilee, right on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it is named Kafarnahum in the Hebrew, which translates the village of Nahum. Kafarnahum, because it is believed that the prophet Nahum may have been from this village. We don't know where Nahum was from, but it was so named that it, it seems that that might have been where he grew up or where he was even born. Kafarnahum, Capernaum. So this is where Jesus is, is uh, his operational home base is. And in Jesus' day, historians estimate that the population of Capernaum was about 10,000. Now, today when we go to Capernaum, and it is one of our stops along our tour of Israel, it is simply an archaeological ruin. It is one of the cities that we go to, one of the towns we go to, and we, we see where Jesus ministered and spent much of his ministry, but it is unoccupied today. And it is unoccupied because Capernaum, along with Chorazin and Bethsaida, were three towns that Jesus cursed because they're located within about a three-mile radius, a triangle of three cities, and it was in that region that Jesus concentrated most of his ministry, most of his miracles, most of his teaching, and yet it was within those towns that the people by and large rejected him and didn't believe in him. And so he said it'll be better on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it'll be for Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. Because they rejected him and they did not believe him, and yet they had at their disposal the greatest exposure of the miraculous ministry of Jesus. So it's unoccupied today. It's a tourist spot. Nobody lives there because the words of Jesus came true. It became cursed. It's not populated. It's just a place where people go now to see. And um, this is actually one of the few places that we know 
uh, of a definitive location because the foundation of the synagogue in Capernaum is made out of basalt, which is the lava stone. And so you can see really a black layer of the foundation stones of the synagogue of Capernaum. And it dates back to first century, dates back to the time of Jesus. The interior of the synagogue now pretty much just you know, uh, uh, a ruin there, but we know the foundation is the exact synagogue from which um, Jesus um, ministered, in which Jesus ministered. And so uh, here he is in Capernaum, and uh, a centurion uh, comes along and asks him for help. Now, a centurion is a Gentile because he is a Roman officer. A centurion was in charge of 100 men, thus the name centurion, and he signed up for a 25-year tour of duty. If you're a centurion, that's a 25-year commitment to the Roman army. And here he is, a man of authority, and he approaches Jesus, obviously here, as a believer. He believes because he's about to ask the Lord to help his sick servant. Now, this in and of itself is pretty amazing because a servant, a slave, would have been property to this centurion. And most centurions are most people who owned property in this day of a slave or a servant, if their slave or servant got sick, they just let him die and got another one. They were considered property, sadly. But this centurion has a heart for his servant. He has a love for this servant. He doesn't see the servant as property. He sees this, this servant as a human being, as a friend. And so he's asking Jesus to save his life. And he comes to him and he says, My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, verse 7, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just, notice, say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, notice here the centurion is recognizing the authority of Jesus. And you can only really recognize authority if you yourself are a person under authority. And that's important for all of us to recognize. You and I will never respect authority until we first recognize to submit to authority. And the centurion says, I know what it is to be a man of authority and a man under authority. He's a centurion, but he has commanding officers over him. And he realizes how it works. And as a man of authority, he wants to be careful to discharge his responsibilities of authority carefully. He says to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and come. He says to Jesus, you can just say the word, because I respect that you are a man of authority, and I believe that you can just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, perhaps he was sensitive to the Jewish customs, because again, in this day, it was against the law for a Jew to go into the home of a Gentile. And maybe this centurion knew that, and he says, you know, you don't need to come to my house, just say the word. But regardless, he respects the authority of Jesus, and he says to Jesus, just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus answers in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. I think your King James might say amazed. You can circle that word. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, He turns to those who are following him, okay? These are the Jews who are following him, and he is now commending in their hearing a Gentile. There are only two times that Jesus is amazed by faith in the Gospels. One is here, 
And another is in Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 6. You don't need to turn, but in the occasion of Mark 6, Jesus is ministering in his own hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up. And the people of Nazareth did not accept him, did not believe in him. And in Mark 6, 6, it says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. Only two times that Jesus is amazed at faith. One is the lack of faith of Nazareth in Mark 6, 6. And one is being amazed at great faith, and here it is in Matthew chapter 8. And he's amazed at the great faith of this centurion. This centurion is being held up in high regard and high honor by Jesus. Jesus is touting him as an example here. He says, you see this guy right here? Why everybody see this guy? Because this guy has great faith, such as I've never seen in all of Israel. So they're probably standing there going, oh, wow, there's a Gentile that's being used as an example here. This is not comfortable. It's not comfortable because he's using the Gentile as a great example. This is a man of great faith. And he says in verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and west, that's talking about Gentiles, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, he's talking about Jews, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, not all Jews. He's not disparaging all Jews, but he's saying, listen, and this is going to be a hard pill for them to swallow. He says, look, there's going to be Gentiles coming from the east and the west, and they're going to have dinner with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there will be some who are subjects of the kingdom. There will be some who are Jews who will not believe in me. That's the context here. Who will not believe in me, and they will be subject to judgment. So he's basically saying, don't dismiss this Gentile because of his heritage, and neither should you just think that you are automatically in the kingdom because of your heritage, he's saying to the Jews. So Jesus then, verse 13, said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. And Jesus just spoke the word. Now, we, we often will see that in the course of Jesus' ministry, he will use different methods to heal people. In this case, he just speaks the word. We're going to see in a moment that he touches. Other times, he makes uh, a concoction out of mud and spit, and his own spit and puts it on a blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash. There are many different methods that, that Jesus uses, but he is still the healer. And he still is doing miraculous work today in people's lives because he is still a healer. And he just said the word. And this guy was healed at that very hour. Now look in verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, now notice, he's still here in Capernaum. And, he, and Peter lives there in Capernaum now. Now Peter was originally from Bethsaida. He was a fisherman. Bethsaida means house of fish. And Bethsaida used to be, probably because the Sea of Galilee extended a little further north, Bethsaida is about another mile or two further up from the Sea of Galilee, but probably the sea spread up a little bit further so that Bethsaida was a fishing village on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's not anymore. Um, but here now, Peter is living in Capernaum. And when you go to Capernaum, this is the one part of Capernaum that I don't like because they have discovered, basically homes in that day were just about the size of your, not maybe the size of your single-car garage. They, they were not very big houses. They were basically rooms, single rooms. But within one of these rooms here was found etched a reference to Simon Barjona. And so in order to preserve the site, <laughs> there has been a shrine that has been built over it, and it looks like a spaceship. It just does. It looks like a UFO spaceship that has landed over top of this one-room house, 
and you can walk up into it and look down. There's a glass bottom, and you can look down into, into Peter's house. Anyway, uh, it is what it is, but, um, but it, it doesn't look like what it would have looked like in Jesus' day, that's for sure, unless you're really into UFOs. But anyhow, and so here, so here Jesus comes into Peter's house, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Now, this is the only reference to Peter's marital status. He is married here. And again, there's a little bit of a conflict here because in the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, they don't permit their priests to marry, and, uh, and, and yet they claim Peter to be the first pope. Well, news bulletin, he was married, and uh, he has a mother-in-law, and the only way you get a mother-in-law is when you get married, okay? And he's got a mother-in-law, and she's sick in bed, and she's got a fever, all right? And there's only one prescription for the fever, and that's Jesus, all right? And Jesus is going to come, and he's going to heal her. Now, verse 15, he touched her hand. So all he did is he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Obviously, Peter loves his mother-in-law. There's no mention here that he's upset about this, okay? He loves his mother-in-law. And, uh, and so she immediately gets up from her fever, and she begins to wait on them, just like a Jewish mother, Right? Oh, Jesus, you look so hungry. What can I get you? How about some hummus? You want some hummus? How about some hummus? And here she is just waiting on him and just being a wonderful Jewish mom here and uh, ministering back to him. But Jesus heals her, and it's instantaneous, and the fever leaves her. Now, we don't know if this is a fever unto death. We don't know, you know, if this is something that she could have died from, but regardless... He ministers to her, and his healing virtue flows from him into her, and she is instantly healed. Now, as a result of this, news spreads. So in verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, circle that, and healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, this may have all happened right outside Peter's house because here Jesus is and he gets through healing Peter's mother-in-law and now the town begins to hear. And again, there's, there's as many as 10,000 people living in Capernaum. How many sick would be all the sick? I mean, it could have been hundreds. We don't know. It doesn't number it, but it does say all the sick, he healed them, and in particular, he drove out demons with a word. Please make note of that. Every time Jesus delivered people from demonic possession, he never touched them. He never once touched them. There is the potential for a transference. If you understand the spirit realm, you do not want to lay hands on someone who is demon-possessed. Yes, lay hands on the sick. Yes, lay hands for commissioning and ordaining. But you don't lay hands on the demon-possessed. Jesus never did. He spoke a word, and they were delivered. And he healed all the sick. And Isaiah had prophesied this. So um, this is the glory of the Lord in Full display here, healing the sick, driving out demons. And verse 38 says that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Okay, you know, look, you have to understand that Jesus, he's fully God, but he's fully man. And he ministers to perhaps hundreds of people, and he gets tired. And the crowd he needs to get away from. 
okay? And you may not be able to understand this unless you've ever been in pastoral ministry, but I can tell you there are times that we as pastors don't mean to look like we don't care. We just need to be off. And I can appreciate this when, I, when Jesus is like, you know what? We just need to get in a boat and get away from people. I got to tell you, there are times I can appreciate what is going on here. When your family comes over for Thanksgiving and they've been there like eight hours, you want a boat, okay? You want to get in a boat. There's going to be times that you want a boat. And so, and Jesus says, I, I want to get in a boat. So he gave orders to cross the other side. And verse 19, now, so they're going to cross from Capernaum to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 19, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this is a teacher of the law. This is a scribe. King James is a scribe. The scribes were were responsible for not only knowing the law, but for, for actually transcribing the law when they would make copies. And he says, he offers this, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And here's what he's basically saying. He's saying, look, that's great that you want to follow me, but he's going to challenge this guy because he's going to say to this guy, in essence, foxes have holes, birds have nests. They were made for this world, okay? They they were made for this environment. A fox will sleep in a hole. A a bird will sleep in a nest and lay eggs and, and all of that. But he says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, I'm not really made for this world, And if you really want to follow me, you have to be aware that neither are you. Neither are you. And we need to take this to heart. Don't get too attached to this world. We don't belong here. Jesus said, this is not my environment. This is not my home. Are you willing to be a pilgrim and a sojourner with me? That's what he's saying. Now, Peter, when he would write his epistle in 1 Peter 2.11, he says, we are aliens and strangers in a sinful world. We are aliens and strangers. We don't belong here. We're only passing through, folks. Do not get too attached to this world. This is not where we have our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we have to live with an eternal perspective. We have to live with an eternal focus. We have to live with eternal goals and eternal mindsets. Jesus says, that's great, you want to follow me? But I just want you to know, I'm not made for this world. If you want to follow me, you have to be aware that this environment is not going to be suitable to us. It's suitable for birds. It's suitable for foxes, not for the Son of Man. Are you really willing to follow me? Well, another disciple, verse 21. And notice, another disciple indicating that the first guy was also a disciple. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, that's not a heartless thing that Jesus is saying because we need to step into the Jewish mindset of the day and understand what the conversation really is all about. This guy's dad has not died. He's not even in the throes of death. Because if he had died, this guy would be burying his father already. The Jews had to bury their own dead before sundown. He's not going to be having a casual conversation with Jesus in Capernaum. Oh, let me just first go bury my my dad. My dad just died. His dad didn't just die, and he's not near death. What he's saying is, and this is, this is you know, the context and this is the culture, what he's saying is, wait until my dad dies, and then when my dad has died, then I will come follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. If you really want to follow me, you can't wait for what is that ideal time? Well, when dad dies, when I have all my bills paid, when I get my master's degree, when I, What? What, when, when is going to be the ideal time? Oh, please, no, no, jump. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know